Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. You're on a mountain of debt. You feel like there is no clarity as to how you're going to become more financially free. You're stressed out with your money. Not because I wrote this book. I'm saying to you that this book was written first to give individuals who can't imagine how they could get out of their financial situation. It's a roadmap. It's, it's, it's short, it sheds hope that, that here's a path. And once you see the path, you're going to start feeling less stressed. Hey, Rudder Nation, welcome to Beyond the Rut, the podcast that shares encouraging stories and practical tools to help pull you out of your rut into a life worth living. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan, and in this interview-based episode, we're going to be joined by CPA Bruce Scott. He's also the author of a new book, 14 Steps to Financial Freedom, Simple Strategies to Grow, Protect, and Sow Your Money at Any Age. And we're talking about more specifically what are the four cultural traps that help keep you stuck in a financial rut in your life and hold you back in other areas of your life? So what are those four cultural influences that we face every day, whether we know it or not? We're going to bring those to the forefront and give you some practical tools to help combat those cultural influences. Because if you can achieve financial freedom, you can also better support the other areas of your life. Now, that's not to say that financial freedom is the only way to fulfillment in life. It's just one of the five F's, faith, family, fitness, finances, and your future possibilities. So sit back, relax, grab a notebook and a pen. Here we go. All right. Hey, Bruce, thanks for calling in from Jamaica. How are you doing? I'm very good, Terry. Thank you so much for having me on the program. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. I, you know what? My guests usually don't ask me that. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. I got to write like 300 plus people. I'm like, dude, you'd never ask me how I'm doing. <laughs> no, I'm Warm, the warmth of Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's that, that, what do you call it? Manners? Courtesy. There we go. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Courtesy. Yeah. Awesome. So we got connected through a company called Book Launchers. And so Sarah Bean and her team. And I love book launchers. They know I love them because I talked about them at a podcast movement conference that there are only a few PR firms, like three, that I actually trust that when they say this person should be a guest on your show, I already know before I've read the bio, the one sheet that they've already done their work to match you and I together, that that you, Bruce, have a message that will reach my audience that is looking to get unstuck in a rut, either in their yeah. faith, family, fitness, finances, or their future. And you kind of hit all the all the boxes. I mean, you're not going to tell them how to, like, you know, bench press more weight or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> you, you hit the other areas, you know, finances being the core of it. But, you know, you, you tie in your faith. If, if you got healthy finances, you can support your family better. That stress goes away, which is actually good for your mental health and, and emotional health. Uh, and then you can invest in the future. So really cool that they did their homework on that. So we're connected because you just published a book called 14 Steps to Financial Freedom, Simple Strategies to Grow, Protect, and Sow Your Money at Any Age. I love that. GPS is highlighted right there. GPS, your money. Yes. Yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of people aim for nothing and they hit it with amazing accuracy. And here you're talking through how to create a plan and tell your money where to go and and 
get it to work for you. And I, I love that. But you didn't work your whole life as an accountant or a financial planner because you had a childhood in there and, and growing up. And, and I saw in your book that it, it's not like you had a silver spoon in your mouth either. So tell us a little bit about your experiences with money before you became a CPA. Yes. So I was going to jokingly say I never had a silver spoon. I never had a spoon in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> the things we so took I, for granted. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in downtown Kingston in a place called Southside. And it's known for gang violence. Was There was a famous shootout. I mean, not anything to brag about. And five people died in a massacre, a dance party. And I lived on a road parallel to Gold Street. I actually heard the gunshots. I heard, I knew somebody who got shot. My grandmother was a dressmaker and we had, she had 12 kids, including my mom. And we had like two rooms for 12 kids plus their children. And in order to fit on the, I remember the house, the house had lots of beds. <laughs> and in order to fit on the bed, for those who don't know, you have to sleep head and tail. Yeah. And yeah, that's how you fit on the bed. So that's my upbringing. But the thing Jerry, is that I used to follow my grandmother to the market to sell her garments. And I used to take a country bus with her and I saw all of that stress. And it was in those moments, in those years, I I reasoned in my heart that I would find a way to improve our financial situation. I became obsessed with, in Jamaica, we have an expression that says, broke out of brokenness. I uh, became yeah. obsessed in stop being broke. And I also recognized that education was the tool one person's education is the power of the powerless. And that's what I, I I saw as my vehicle, not having a big brand name to my family. We never had a family business. And that's when I found my love for accounting. And I determined in my heart that I was going to use the vehicle of accounting to help me to get to the land of financial freedom because I saw all the poverty and the stress that my family was going through. Yeah. And what was it that you saw? Because, you know, typically when we make a big drastic life change, I mean, it happens on the inside, but there's something on the outside that we saw that gives us that hope, like I can go after that and, or something like it. So what was it about accounting that you saw that said, I'm going to go after that? That's my vehicle. Yeah. You know what? That's a huge question. So when I talk about what drives me, I break it down in two parts. So I talk about obsessive desire where mm -hmm. I look at the end from the beginning. So I knew I wanted my family to live a better life financially. So that was my big engine that drove me. But then I also realized that I need a vehicle to get me to that land of financial freedom. And so what I did, and I'm saying it in a very organized way now, but at the time it was just the Holy Spirit. It was just a raw battle. I realized I was good with numbers. And so I did my research and I reasoned that if I'm good with numbers, I should find a profession and I did a lot of research and I found accounting. And I said, okay, accounting can become the vehicle that gets me to my goal of financial freedom. So I had two passions, one for the outcome and the second one for accounting. And I'll say to anybody that's listening, the easiest way to make money, and this is almost a cliche, but you're hearing somebody who has lived it. The easiest way to build wealth is to find something that naturally aligns with your habit, your habit, your hobbies and your passion. And then you will probably never work another day in your life. And that's what I found in accounting. And I know in the book, I talk about parents who superimpose their vicariously want to live to their children. 
wanting to become the doctor, the kid to be the doctor that they never became. I have an amazing story in the book about that. So this is also a caution for parents. Let your children be. Let them flourish where they are and they will get to the pinnacle of that particular thing. I argue that whatever you love, make sure that it's at least able to help you to save money because without savings, you will not be able to journey towards the land of financial freedom. Long answer, Ms. Dugan, but thought I'd oh, just keep on going there. <laughs> it was perfect too. I remember reading that part, that story about the the friend of yours who was, you know, kind doctor. of yeah, to, to be a doctor and didn't want to be a doctor. And I was like, but he hasn't met me yet. How does he know? <laughs> so that that was my mom's dream was for me to be a doctor. And I was a pre-med student who oh my. Uh, I graduated like a 2.1 GPA, but I was tutoring people to get A's and B's in the same class I was failing. And so my faculty advisor knew this guy does not want to be a doctor so much so that he's sabotaging his grades to make sure he doesn't become one. The cool thing about your book is you didn't just write it for one demographic. Like, you know, there's me, there's the guy that's in his 40s, he's in midlife, and it's like, okay, seriously, how do I get financially free? And I could see a lot of benefit for me out of it. And then you add an extra message there for kids who are in college, kids who have just gotten out of college, kids who are about to go to college. Like, hey, what should you be thinking about in regards to money right now? And I love that message, probably because I have two college-aged kids, you know, 19 and 21. It's like, gosh, kids, here are my mistakes. Boom. Here's Bruce's book. And, you know, he's speaking specifically to you. And so you might see your, your sales numbers tick up by two as I get them a copy, each of them. And it's just, I, I love that. Like you're thinking about who needs this now, who's going to be desperate and want to know this. Yeah. What are the 14 steps? But then you're also like, okay, out there in the world are young adults who also want to break the cycle of poverty in their family, or they want to make sure they don't become broke when they get out of college here yeah. are 14 things you can do with the income or lack of income you've got here. Here's some small things you could do now that are going to compound later on. And yeah. so I love that you formatted the book that way. Was, can, can, yeah. I, can I say quickly how I ended up doing that? Yeah. Jerry, I was going to ask. Mind. So perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm raring to go. Jerry. I'm raring to go. Bruce I'm can read minds too. time travel and read minds. We got extra yeah. gifts here. <laughs> so I never sat under a tree Dreaming that one day I want to walk past the glass store of a book, the glass window of a bookstore and see my name, Bruce Scott, CPA author. I never had that dream. What drove me to write this book was a lot of young persons, whether it's church or just work or people that know me as an accountant, telling me about their money worries, their debt mountains, their struggles. And every single time I would give them the treatments as to how they can turn their situation around. And I make reference to this in the book. They would say, Bruce, if I knew what you're telling me 15 years ago, I'm going to use your term, Jerry. I would not be in this rut today. And I went to my high school, alma mater. I've heard this so many times. I said to the principal, I need to get in front of your 12th graders and even teachers. And I started teaching the contents of this book. And it's a present course at my high school, alma mater, at Jamaica College. I teach it for free. I give cash prizes to the top three students. I've built up multiple choice questions that they do. And that's the driver. So when I decided to write the book because I wanted the message to go out much faster, I was able to bring in, like you said, those working adults, that's the term I use, and the full-time students. And I've even gone out of my way at the end of each chapter to give money journal assignments for working adults and for full-time students so they can connect 
and apply the principles learned at the end of each chapter. Too much passion here, Jerry, but oh, I hope you feel it. it. <laughs> yes. And I, I want to tell everybody, if you're wondering to yourself, what is my passion? I don't even know my passion. You just heard a taste of it here from Bruce. And that is he's willing. He loves it so much that he went to his alma mater, his high school, and he teaches it free. And free. Yeah, free. And you do it on a regular basis because you care more about the outcome than how much you can earn off of it. But you found a way to also earn off of it as a CPA, working for a major organization. Now, early in the book, you talk about four cultural influences that are right there that are probably getting this into this rut in the first place. I know I mentioned it in my book a little bit, specifically around the monthly payment. And keeping up with the Joneses, and I just took two of them from you. But I'm going to tell us the four cultural influences that get okay. us in that financial rut. There we go. And I'll shut up because I was stealing your thunder. Okay, Mr. Jerry. <laughs> so because of my Christian worldview, you'll notice in the book, I use a lot of biblical imagery. It's kind of subtle. Right? So but in this section of the book, I call it the four horsemen of the savings crisis. That's another characterization for the four cultural influences. But before I quickly identify them, the reason why we need to find them and treat them is because they will cut the legs from under you in terms of your ability to save money. The book is big on the awareness that we need to learn to save money because it is the fuel that will drive us along the road to financial freedom. So these four cultural influences, that's why they're so destructive. Number one, a culture of instant gratification. I want it now. Fast food, fast car, instant everything. But when it comes on to finances, you can't be like instant coffee, nothing against coffee. You have to be like the bamboo tree. You have to be patient. The scripture says you put money little by little and you watch it grow. You cannot have instant gratification in your car. You need to take instant gratification out and embrace deferred gratification, which is what savings is all about. The next one is People buy stuff based on how much is the monthly payment. You walk into a store. Look, the store owners, they're in the business of selling their stuff. I have nothing against that. But you need to be empowered. You see this thing. You you walk out with paying $100 a month over 15 years, 10 years. When you look at the interest that you're paying out, that's robbing you in terms of savings. So wait. It's okay to wait. Or you can go for the shortest period that you can afford. Number three, a culture of lack of financial intelligence. Many people make money mistakes. I know somebody was comfortably paying the minimum balance on their credit card, thinking that it was okay. People need to invest in themselves. In the first chapter, I call it the greatest financial investment you will ever make. It's an investment in your mind, in your time, and your financial legacy. And the last one is very famous, a culture of keeping up with the Joneses. In the book, I argue the Joneses left town a long time ago and you don't (laughs) even want to know where they live. Do not look over the fence. Learn to be content. Exercise an attitude of gratitude and be amazed to see how how good life is. So those are the four cultural influences. If you can manage them, you're going to save more money and you're going to accelerate your path along the road to financial freedom. Yes. And the one keeping up with the Joneses cracks me up the most because, as Dave Ramsey says, we're spending money on things that we don't really want to impress people we don't really know. And yeah. it blows my mind. Probably. Keeping up with the Joneses is not from a place of security and confidence. It's I want people to be impressed by me. And, and what does it cost us? I mean, you, you pointed out it's the crisis to our savings because we're spending it all on stuff to impress others. Yeah. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. 
If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into CapShow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. CapShow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. And, and with the social media channels that exist, it is even, in the book I talk about Jones's disease, mm-hmm. and you know you're infected when you feel like you have to spend money that you don't have to post stuff to create a certain impression. I talk about impression management and how some people feel like they have to let other people feel that they are successful. And they, they you know, they, they get into debt to, to have this facade. No, you're right. If you're going to be financially free, it starts with a clear picture of, I don't care what you think. I'm thinking about my lane and my budget and my financial goals and my family. And that's it. I bought a BMW recently. I could have bought a brand new one. Why am I going to buy a brand new car? when I could save like 30-40%. And I didn't care if somebody could figure it out because of a used car. Yeah. You need to get to that state of mental comfort if you're really going to go down to the road of financial freedom. Yeah. My family didn't understand for the longest time why I will never buy a brand new car off the lot. And now they know. My kids are adults now and they've, they've seen like the brand new car loses $5,000 in value or more the moment you drive off the lot. And so like our most recent car right now, it's paid off, which I love. And like we bought it used. It was like two or three years old when we got it. Very low mileage. It's a Toyota Avalon. And I tell you, we love it because it, it's nice. The seats have heaters and we live in a place now where it gets cold in the winter. Like I didn't think I needed a leather seats with a heater, but it's like, oh, this feels good in the wintertime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I'm in my 40s. It's like, oh, this makes my back feel better. Okay, good. Um, right. But then the, the point I drove home to my family, though, is one, we're in a place where we could buy that car. But two, and my son knew this because he, he loves cars. And he's like, dad, that car brand new is like $10,000 more than what you paid for it. I was like, bingo. I let somebody, and this was like a previously owned car by the government. I was like, I let the government pay full price. They only put 30,000 miles on it and they sold it to me for 30 or yeah, 10,000 less than I would have paid if I bought brand new. And it was a government car. They took care of it. And I don't know where that car, I mean, that car is blinged out. I'm like, wow. (laughs) And I'll say, yeah. The thing is, there we have nothing against brand new cars. If somebody can afford to take the hit and they have a dream car, then that's a personal choice. Yeah. You know, we're just making the argument that if you want to maximize your savings, then it's something to think about. But if you want to go with your brand new car and you understand the implications, I make that balance in the book yeah. and go for it. Yeah. And, you know, we got that car because, I mean, one, my wife loved it. <laughs> and But, like, we never posted about it on social media. Like, hey, look at our car, you know, now bow to us. We're like, you know, it's, it's a car. It does what it does. But, it yeah, it's getting what you need for what you need to, to do and, and not worry about what other people think about it. I think it's really huge. And just getting that, getting past that. But you got these other three that are important, like instant gratification, that dopamine fix, huge. Thinking beyond the monthly payment, because that's how you get stuck that's how you get stuck in the rat the rat race is all of a sudden your paycheck is like ballooned out to these monthly payments and now you can't leave that job that's so toxic that it's taking a toll on your your health whereas if you think about 
beyond that monthly payment, you now got freedom of movement, not just financial freedom. Like I was able to leave a job a few months back because we don't have everything swelled out to a monthly payment. And it's like, I I love that freedom. You know, we're not even at a point of like saying we're financially free. We just have the freedom to leave that environment. And it's huge, guys. I hope you're paying attention to what Bruce is saying here and what I'm just going gaga over. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one of the things you talk about in the book is like, once you realize these four influences, like the great first step is to figure out your net worth to kind of give you a scorecard. I I know a lot of folks, I I try not to because I don't like the number, but because that number used to be negative with a bunch of numbers after it. And now it's closer to zero. So it's like, okay, I'm at a wash, but now I want to get a big positive number. But what, what is net worth? How do you calculate net worth? Great question. So net worth is the measure of determining how wealthy somebody is. And it's literally looking at what the person or the household own, O-W-N, versus what they owe, O-W-E. So if you're what you owe, like your mortgage, your car loan, your student loan, if those are greater than what you owe, you have a negative network, which is not good. It means that if you were to sell all of your assets, the things that you own, and you try to settle your debts or your liabilities, you would fall short. That's why a negative net worth is not good. A negative net worth also shouts that you are living beyond your means. Your expenses are more than your inflows, and that is going to be your downfall. And so there is that link. And so because you're spending more than you're earning, you have to fund or borrow each month, usually from a credit card, to pay for that difference. And that's why your liabilities are what you owe keeps getting higher. That's part of the self-assessment. So if somebody sees that they have a negative net worth and they also do their income and expense statement, they're very likely to see that they're living beyond their means. That is the awareness. That is the reality check. That is the first step along the road to financial freedom. Where am I today? Once you know where you are, then you are now in a position to treat yourself. You go to the doctor, they do your MRI scan, you do your PSA, your blood sugar. Once the doctor sees that your blood sugar is high, then the doctor is going to set a treatment to bring the blood sugar down. Your net worth is negative or low, then you need some treatments. And that's where financial goal setting becomes important. But one other quick thing about network. A lot of people see people in their fancy cars and assume that they're wealthy. And in the book, I made the argument that it's not how much, not so much how much you earn, but it's more what you're able to save and invest. Somebody with a high income, 150000 a year, who spends more than they earn will have a negative net worth and I talk about a school bus driver who made 38, 39,000 and was a millionaire by the time she was 60 because she spent far less than she earned. So you want a billion net worth, save money. And even if you make less than a higher income person, your net worth could be a lot bigger. Yeah. And net worth, how does that compare to like somebody's actual worth as a person? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So your net worth, is not to be confused with your human dignity. You're created in the image and likeness of a holy God. Do not think that you were bought with corruptible things, but you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. So there is no question. So don't link your self-esteem with your bank account. It is a natural thing to do, but they're completely different. And this is also a word for married couple. You might be a husband 
and you make less than your wife and you automatically start to feel that you're paying second fiddle. Our headship role as men, and I'm not talking dictatorship here, our headship role is not determined by the size of our bank account. It's determined by just that divine order that God sets in place. So if your wife earns more money than you, then cheer her along in Jesus' name and help her to be the best wife and to earn more for the family. So there is, there is, and look, it, there is a part of us culturally, let's not, play games there, right? There's a part of us culturally as men where you have that natural instinct that you want to earn. And and the Bible says if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. But don't confuse earning less than your wife as you having less work, right? As long as you're trying, what, what gets me upset is men who have no sense of trying, and I'm saying they need to get off their blessed assurance and go demonstrate that that attribute that God gave to Adam when he says protect the garden, guard the garden, keep the garden. He had the garden before the woman and so we know clearly that it's our responsibility. But don't confuse the size of your bank account with your human dignity and your work. I love that. I knew you were going to go there because I you know, read enough <laughs> of your book and listened to some interviews you've done. I, I didn't know you were going to give us the bonus content on headship, which is like, yes, I know, what, I know what other episodes to link back to this where we talk about headship because that is huge. That's a big big passion part of mine is as well it's like not confusing you know headship with i'm the ruler and you must obey and i love that and it's yeah net worth is really just a scorecard of where am i financially bottom line boom but i i know and i went through this myself where i thought my actual worth was tied into my net worth and and because you know the language was confusing like that at first when i was younger but now I understand, no, it's strictly a scorecard that I've got more assets or less assets than I have liabilities. And, it, and I looked at it in terms of what can I leave my family? And when I saw it as that, net worth is really just what my assets are worth or not. <laughs> it gives me a, a snapshot of where I am financially as far as financial health. It's not in any way indicative of who I am in, in God's eyes. And I love that. And I love that added bonus, though. Like, what if my wife earns more than me? So what? You know, support her, so cherish her, and so what? So yes. what? And and wives need to understand it too, because some ladies, subconsciously or otherwise, feel like because they earn more, it gives them some sort of ascendancy, and that's where the whole submission comes in, right? The pocket again, it works both ways. The size yeah. of your bank account or your paycheck doesn't elevate you to the headship role as a woman. The submission is still there, and there's a whole discussion around people who pool money versus. They have their separate bank accounts, you know, <laughs> but that, 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 that's a whole other thing there. But, yeah. but just to say that it's equally important for the man and the woman to understand the size of the paycheck doesn't change the divine order. Yeah. I love that. Now, so far, we've talked about your background. We talked about those four cultural influences, net worth, and how that's a great first step to take and not to be confused with personal worth. You guys got the bonus content on headship just now. Now, what are some next practical steps? Because we still got some time here. What are some practical steps? I've just figured out my net worth. What do I do next to get myself out of a financial rut? Yeah. So so the net worth is like the, uh, the x-ray. But I argue <clears throat> that you want to drill on a little bit further. So if your net worth is low or negative, it's a sign that your financial health indicators are not good. And I get into 10 of them, which we obviously won't have the time to get through here. But I talk about life events. Every stage of our lives will have some financial implication, right? So your kids will want to go to college. We're going to get to retirement age one day. You're going to want to buy a house. You want to buy a car. So you have to test how 
prepared you are financially for dealing with all of those. How much are we spending on debt on a monthly basis? And so it's it's the net worth, yes, but we need to drill down and do those more specific tests. And so if those tests are below the benchmarks, for example, your debt to income ratio is a very important test. It's almost like your blood pressure. If you are above the target, which is about 43 to 50%, debt to income ratio, my total monthly payments as a percentage of my gross income, you don't want that to be more than 50%. But if you have that at like 60%, and remember the question I'm answering, what are the, the quick steps? Yes. So you need to understand where you are. How healthy am I? If I'm weak with my debt management, I'm in a debt mountain, my DTI, my debt to income is greater than the benchmark 50%, then that leads us to, I need to set a financial goal to bring down my DTI. If I see where I don't have an emergency fund, that the treatment is to go and build an emergency fund. And you write down those goals to fix the weak areas in your financial health indicators. But, Jerry, none of those goals will come to life until we are able to either increase our savings or start to save money. So I have a chapter. It's called Budget to Save. Learn from the ants and be wise. The ants store stuff in the... In, they gather stuff in the su summer knowing that winter is coming. Metaphorically speaking, we need to store. We need that cash to attack our debt mountains to increase our retirement savings, to invest in our college fund, and to give to our communities. It's all about savings. I get into the TTCI method of how to save more money in the book because a lot of people are stuck and they don't know where to turn. I give a four-step simple approach how to save money. I'm going to pause there. A lot of energy bubbling through the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the TTCI method, guys, is track your expenses, trim where you can, you know, those extra subscriptions, those extra expenses that you really don't need to have. And then if it's not enough, chop the stuff that you got to chop and, and endure for a little bit and then increase your income. And I know for yeah. me, like we increased our income by getting rid of monthly payments. It was like, wait, why are we paying a car note? Let's get rid of the car note. Well, how do we do that? We pay off the car. And, and so we had sold our house when the market was like really booming. We had a big influx of cash. Our plan was either A, use the house as a rental or free up expendable income. And what we found was we could either generate $200 worth of passive income or we could generate $1,500 a month of income if we paid off our debt. And I was like, let's do that. And, and it, it brought our expenses down so much. It's part of why I was able to leave my job a few months back. <laughs> it was like, yeah. we, we don't have debt to pay off. We don't have all these bills to pay. We just have to worry about rent, electricity, and internet, you know, and a few yeah. other things. And, and I know that feeling. Oh, it's I such have a no, good one. no mortgage debt. Yeah. Um, you know, no credit card debt, nothing. And that, 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 I mean, I know Dave Ramsey is the king on personal finance. Dave Ramsey says, when the debts are paid off, even the grass under your foot feels different. Yes. And he's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can walk off a job. Where, where are you going? No bills to pay. Right. This job sucks. Right. I'll see you guys he's later. Right. <laughs> he's right. But we so, need to learn to save money. I talk about that a lot. Yes. Um, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's ultimately the thing that allows you to pivot in life is you've got that nest egg there that you can draw from and you put right back into it once things have settled back down. Whereas a lot of folks don't have that and they rely on 
they can't. They they can't because they've maxed out their credit cards. They've maxed out. They've taken out loans, and they're just so spread thin and leveraged in debt that they can't. And when you don't have that debt, when you have that nest egg, that emergency fund, you have freedom of movement in life, and I love it, guys. <laughs> Bruce's book is called 14 Steps to Financial Freedom. You got to get a copy for yourselves. I know it's available on Amazon. Where else can they get the book if they don't want to buy it from Amazon? <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, Chapter. It's it's literally everywhere you can think of. Thanks to book launchers who helped me to get such a wide distribution. And we also, I also have an audiobook version. It's It's not just audible. It's audiobook for just about any other platform that has an audiobook. I use um, Find A Way Voices to do the distribution oh, there. Love those and guys. They have a much, very wide distribution network. If you're into hard copy, hardback, there's a hardback. If you want to ebook, there's Kindle. And not just Kindle like Amazon's Kindle, but ebook for Barnes & Noble's equivalent. It's in every format, just about everywhere. And my website is 14stepstofinancialfreedom.com. That's the number 14 steps to financialfreedom.com. I have a free health test that you can do to test quickly where you are, diagnostically speaking. And I have a workbook that you'll get if you put the receipt that you bought the book and you'll get a link to download a workbook that will help you to work through those money journal assignments. Nice. I love that. And before we go, Bruce, any final words of wisdom for those listening in? My final word of wisdom is if you're listening to me and you feel like you're on a mountain of debt, you feel like there is no clarity as to how you're going to become more financially free, you're stressed out with your money. Not because I wrote this book. I'm saying to you that this book was written first to give individuals who can't imagine how they could get out of their financial situation. It's a roadmap. It's, it's, it's short, it sheds hope that, that here's a path. And once you see the path, you're going to start feeling less stress. And it's broken down in a very simple format. So the 14 steps are split across grow your money, nine steps. Protect your money, estate planning, insurance, and sow your money, giving and helping others to be free. And that's why we call it GPS your money. Grow, protect, sow. Very easy to remember. So just think as you're walking, you have your GPS and it gives you a sense of direction. That's what the book is doing. It's hope. It might take you six years, but at least you have hope and you don't have that hopelessness. That's what I'm trying to do. Give you a sense of hope. And here is a living testimony. I wasn't always like this. Those strategies work. And you can trust them. And you can read the testimonials online and the reviews. Go to, go for it, guys. Yes. Sound advice in this book, guys. I'm not even doing everything in this book, and I've seen so much benefit. And this book has reminded me, okay, don't forget the rest of the picture here of what can help build that freedom you're looking for. So get a copy of that book, guys. Bruce, I'm glad we were able to get on here. Sarah, thanks for connecting me with Bruce. All right, guys. Thanks. Blessings. Now, I hope you got encouragement, inspiration, and some practical tips from this conversation I had with Bruce Scott. Now, we talked about the four cultural influences that'll keep you stuck in a financial rut. We also gave you some tips on how to get out of those financial ruts and a, a lot more bonus content. We also shared with you Bruce's upbringing in Jamaica, in poverty, and how now he has learned so much, been certified in so many ways, and helps individuals and families, whether you're in college now or you're later in life, to find that financial freedom. So hopefully you found some tools, some takeaways. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want more, now if you want to you know, like 
touch in, you know, touch base, touch in with me. What, what, what? If you want to touch base with me, send me an email, info at beyondtherut.com. Let me know what you got out of this conversation. If you want to get more information about Bruce, about his book, about related topics around financial freedom that we've covered in Beyond the Rut, the podcast, go to the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 355. Now, if you just want to get unstuck from a rut in life in general, go get my book, Beyond the Rut, Create a Life Worth Living in Your Faith, Family, and Career. It is available on Amazon as an ebook, as a paperback, and an audiobook. But I'll let you know, if you buy the ebook or the paperback, you get the audiobook for free. So there you go. Now, I hope everything about this episode has helped pull you out of your rut in some way, or you know somebody who would benefit from this. If that's the case, share this episode with somebody you know. That helps grow this show, but it also helps impact the lives of others, the people you know, in fact. Now, I'm glad you joined me for this episode, and I look forward to joining you again on the next one. But until then, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Cap Show, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.